swing and a drive. Deep to left center field. Going, going. Goodbye, baseball. This is Extra Innings. Fastball swing and a miss. Strike three. That's going to retire the side. Seattle sports goes inside the Mariners with more stories, insights, and analysis than you'll find anywhere. Drilled up the middle. Oh, what a catch by J.P. Crawford. Step in the batter's box in the top of the tent right now. Joining me now on the Emerald Queen Casino Sportsbook Hotline, he covers the Oakland A's for MLB.com, and he is kind enough to join us here today to talk a little bit about this A's team that the Mariners are going to be facing tomorrow down at the Coliseum. Martin, really appreciate you joining me. How's it going? Hey, Curtis. It's all good. Just uh, enjoying the off day before for this upcoming series. Uh, nice day in the Bay Area, so can't really complain about that. Yeah, definitely. I, I mean, up here in Seattle, I don't know if you've noticed or if have paid attention at all, but uh, we have been having some unseasonably cold weather this late into the season. So uh, glad you're at least getting some sunshine down in the Bay Area. But, Martin, let's get started with this A's team. And, I mean, they have been one of the – Bigger stories in baseball off the field this year, not so much on the field, obviously based off of sort of the direction of the on-field product, but off the field, attendance woes, new stadium proposals. It just feels like there is something new developing each and every week. I want to know from you as somebody who covers this team day in and day out, how would you gauge the momentum right now towards the team's stadium proposal to remain in Oakland? Yeah, it's interesting because you look at the on-field product and, and you know, the lack of crowds and, and you, you feel like, you know, there's really no hope here. But um, if you look at the way things are going as far as, you know, the A's meetings with the city and, and, and the, the county of, of Alameda and, and, and all that, um, things actually seem to be trending in, in a positive direction. There, there's a there's a big vote coming up on June 30th um, that, that's going to really uh, – um, I think determine the state of this this stadium for good. The, the stadium proposal. Um, it, the, they're going to vote to whether or not remove uh, you know a priority use uh, from the port of Oakland and, and give it to the A's, which which would in theory allow them basically get the green light to not not get a shovel in the ground yet. But it's obviously a huge hurdle that they would clear. So that June thirtieth vote is going to be big. But you know they have been making some positive momentum on that front. I know. You know, the Las Vegas thing is something that's always lurking. The A's are making business. Dave Cavill, the A's president, is there, um, you know, pretty often. But from what I've heard, uh, you know, movement, you know, in terms of, you know, getting something secured in Las Vegas, I think they're a lot further along in the process in Oakland. It's obviously hard to get anything built in, in California these days, and certainly a stadium is, is at the top of the list of difficult things. But um, I think they're far enough on this thing right now that there is some positive momentum going forward. And, and like I said, that... June 30th vote is going to determine a lot of things about you know the future of the A's and if they're going to stay in Oakland or not. Yeah, I mean, a market like Seattle up here, we know firsthand what it's like to lose a franchise. And the city of Oakland over the last few years has not only lost the Warriors to San Francisco, but the Raiders to Las Vegas. What would it mean to the city of Oakland to keep the A's in town for not just the, the short term, but also for the very long term if they can get a new stadium done? Yeah, I think it's huge. You know, um, you know, obviously they've been here a long time. Uh, I think deep down, you know, the Raiders are here for a long time. The Warriors are here for a long time. I think Oakland's always kind of been a baseball city. They had those dynasties in the 70s and, you know, the Ricky Henderson days and the 80s. And um, this fan base is, is present. I, I know that the, the attendance numbers are low, but they do have a lot of fans around the Bay Area, around California, and, and around the country, really. Um, they, 
it's a passionate fan base, but they've obviously been fed up with, with the way, you know, things have been run, you know, in terms of the roster here uh, over the past decade or so. Um, but I mean, if they were to lose the A's, I mean, it would be just a devastating blow. I mean, just, you talk about, you know, people losing jobs and, you know, uh, you know, fans losing the team that they grew up going to games with their families, with their parents and stuff. Um, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a tradition in Oakland for sure that, um, I would hate to see it, you know, just as me personally being someone who grew up in the Bay area, you know, going to giants games and A's games. Um, there's always something I think special about the connection between the A's and their fans and, uh, for them to possibly lose that franchise. I think it's something that's obviously a worry for, for people in the area. You know, they don't want to see a third team leave the area in a short amount of time. And I mean, if the A's leave there, like I said, there's no major league sports franchise uh, around town anymore. Martin Gallegos of MLB.com, who covers the A's, joining us on Extra Innings here. And Martin, the A's, they're on pace for an MLB record worst win percentage at home this season. They're just 7-25 and through their first 32 games at the Coliseum. How much would you attribute that to the crowds staying away from the ballpark? Because as you've mentioned a couple of times, we're seeing record low attendance numbers. Is that a big factor into why the A's have had such little success at the Coliseum this year? I think it certainly plays a factor. I don't know if it's the biggest factor, but I think there's certainly something to when they go on the road and and they play, you know, just for example, last week they were on the road in Boston and, and Atlanta. They had, they had crowds of thirty, forty thousand 40,000 on a nightly basis. Then you come back to the Coliseum and you're playing in front of, you know, seven, 8,000. The atmosphere is just not the same. You know, the, the vibes are not the same. The energy is not the same. And, some of the players have mentioned that, you know, it's just the energy feels different on the road. They go into hostile territory and, you know, they've got, you know, opposing crowds cheering against them and it kind of gets them going a little bit more as opposed to when they come to the Coliseum on a, on a Tuesday or Wednesday afternoon. And there's not just not a lot of, a whole lot of, you know, uh, you know, energy in the building. You know, you've got the, the diehard fans and the bleachers that always show up and, and your regulars, but um, it's not a big crowd overall in terms of the attendance numbers. So, I think it certainly plays a factor into it. There's also, you know, there's ballpark factors. The, the Coliseum's always been a traditionally, you know, pitcher ballpark, pitcher-friendly ballpark. It's harder to hit there. And I think, you know, the I think when the A's go on the road as well, I think having played so many games here at the Coliseum, they kind of even get into their own heads a little bit about just, you know, how difficult it could be to hit the ball here, especially at night when the, when the ball doesn't seem to carry very much. Um, so there's a lot of factors. I think the, the crowd thing, though, I think it definitely um, – it's something that definitely affects their performance in some way. How, how big or little, I, I don't know the exact amount. I don't think it's the overarching amount, uh, overarching thing, but I think it's definitely a factor. Martin, the A's this last offseason traded away a few faces of the franchise, Matt Olson, Matt Chapman, Chris Bassett, to name a few. And of those players that the A's acquired in those deals, which were numerous, tons of prospects coming back to the A's farm system, who has jumped out to you as somebody to keep an eye on? Well, I think you start with the, the trade that, you know, what they got back from Matt Olson from the Braves. Um, Shea Langlier is a catcher who they got immediately came into the organization and he's now their number one prospect. And he's, I think ranked, you know, pretty highly on, on MLB's top 100 list. I think he's around, you know, 30, maybe 35 to 45 range uh, in baseball. So there's definitely high hopes for him. He's at triple a right now and he's really, you know, having a good season there at the plate. He's always been considered a really good defensive catcher, but he's also, you know, a pretty good hitting catcher. Um, so, you know, I don't know what that means for them with Sean Murphy behind the plate, who's a gold glover. You know, I don't know if maybe they, they could they could certainly, you know, use as much offense as they can. So I could envision a scenario where either, 
you know, they switch Murphy and, and Langleaders between DH and catcher or something. But I think Langleaders certainly, uh, you know, represents, you know, some hope for the future. The other guy who they got in that trade was uh, Christian Pache, who's their everyday center fielder right now. He's not really hitting the ball a whole lot. He's, his batting average is pretty low. Um, but he is playing outstanding defense. He's probably um, one of the better defenders in the game already. I mean, he's 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 going to be in the running for the gold glove, I, I, I think, just by – you know, the metrics, what they say about his, his defense in center field has been really good there. So they're still working on him on the hitting side. He's still pretty young, I believe, about 22 years old. So there's still time for develop for him to develop in that area. But if he can hit just a little bit, I mean, they have a really good player on their hands as well. Um, and the other players that they got, you know, in the other trades, the Chapman deal, um, you know, the Bassett deal as well. Um, those guys are, are more prospects who are, you know, they're excited about, but they're still kind of, you know, a ways away. They got a lot of pitchers in those deals. Um, you know, Gunnar Hoagland, the guy from the from the Blue Jays, um, he's actually rehabbing from Tommy John, so they haven't been able to see him in the minor leagues yet. They're hoping to get him, you know, on the mound again at some point this season before season's end. Um, but a lot of these guys, you know, including their own top prospects, are still a couple of years away. That's why I think it's, you know, kind of frustrating for, you know, an A's fan to watch this right now is, you know, they're watching, you know, the, the team that they're currently fielding right now um, and there's not really any prospects who are really knocking on the door of a call-up outside of a guy like Shea Langleers. You look at their top 10 list, and most of those guys are still maybe in double-A, single-A, and, and you know they're not going to come up at this uh, you know this year, and you got to kind of keep waiting a little bit and be patient until they're ready. Now, Martin, there's a, a guy on the A's roster that uh, Mariners fans are, are probably clamoring for me to ask about, and it's a guy who had his fair share of drama with the Mariners last year. Uh, Cole Irvin, starting pitcher for the A's, who last year, uh, after a start where he lost a game to the Mariners, uh, made mention of, you know, how could we lose to that team? And then the Mariners went out and won, I believe, four more starts that Irvin made last year. Now, this year he missed the first series that these two teams played back in the month of May. He's scheduled to miss this series, and he's also scheduled to miss the series in the start of July that these two teams are going to play. Uh, I got to know, is that a conscious effort on the A's part, considering how much the Mariners had his number a year ago? <laughs> No, I don't think so at all. I think it just, you know, plays out that way. But, um, you know, I think I obviously last year what he said last year, I, at the time he said it, I, I didn't really, you know, process it really. And then I went back and read the words. And obviously it was, you know, I mean, by the end of the season, he, he you know, kind of even mentioned it to us that last start he had in Seattle when he got knocked around as well. And, you know, it was around the time when the A's got eliminated from playoff contention that, you know, he kind of regretted, you know, saying that, uh, you know, that really, you know, he knew what the effect it had on the Mariners just kind of being bulletin board material. I don't think that was ever his intention, but obviously kind of, you know, sometimes you say words that, that are, you know, out of frustration. I think he was more upset with himself that start that he had. Um, but just knowing the type of guy that he is, I don't think he, you know, meant anything bad about the Mariners. But, um, you know, it hasn't been a conscious effort on his part. I think, you know, he kind of learned his lesson from saying stuff like that uh, post game about any team. Um, he's a guy who likes to talk a lot just in general. He's a very talkative guy. So sometimes, you know, he could kind of let things slip up a little bit, but, um, you know, it'll be interesting to see when they do face off again how, how that plays out. He's actually having a pretty good season uh, this year. He's just coming off a really good start in his last outing. So um, I'm sure at some point they're gonna they're gonna cross paths again, and and uh, we'll see we'll see what happens when that when that game comes. Yeah, definitely something to keep an eye on the rest of the way this season. Martin Gallegos, MLB.com and Athletics.com reporter. You can follow him on Twitter at Martin J Gallegos. And Martin, really appreciate you joining us here today, and uh, have a lot of fun covering this series. 
Yeah, no problem, Curtis. Thanks. Anytime. He's been around the block a few times at the major league level, and he's one of the newest Mariners right now. That is Justin Upton. He joined Wyman and Bob earlier today on Seattle Sports Station for a in-depth conversation. What it's like to join a brand-new team this late into his major league career, and what left does he have to give to the game of baseball? We take a listen to what Justin Upton had to say next. This is Extra Innings on Seattle Sports Station the Mariners Radio Network. You're listening to Extra Innings, Inside the Mariners, on the home of the Mariners, Seattle Sports Station. Throughout the week, Wyman and Bob have a Mariners spotlight where they will interview a player or a coach with the Mariners. And today, it's one of the newest guys on the team, Justin Upton, who has been through just about everything there is to go through in Major League Baseball. Former number one pick and former top prospect overall in Major League Baseball, making his debut in 2007 with the Arizona Diamondbacks. He's got over 300 career home runs. He's played for a lot of good teams. He's made the postseason a few times. He's got just everything that you could hope to accomplish in the game of baseball outside of maybe being a World Series champ, but he has done He's been around the block more than a few times in his major league career. He joined Wyman and Bob today to talk about just the journey that his career has taken him on as well as that very scary pitch he took off of his head on Friday night against the Angels and how he's able to bounce back so quickly. You know, I know you probably don't want to dwell on it, but we always marvel at at player. Ty France leads all of Major League Baseball in being plunked. He did last year as well. We talk about just... Man, there it seems like you'd be gunshot. You'd have happy feet in the box. You got hit in the head. That was an incredibly scary moment. Yet you come back uh, next game, look like there was no impact whatsoever. Does that even enter your mind when you step into the box for the first time after something like that? Uh, it actually didn't. I mean, when you when you're playing major league baseball or playing baseball every day, I mean, there's always that chance that uh, that you could be hit somewhere you don't want to be hit. So. Um, you know, I, I think that's something that you kind of, you know, you get over pretty early, and um, you know, you got to go in there and compete every day, and, and you know, that's just part of the job. Yeah, Justin, I think I would have been diving out of the way after that. I mean, that's <laughs> a, yeah. But hey, tell us uh, what the what the Mariners, uh, what was the conversation when uh, when they brought you up and you know got you ready and everything? Sort of what your uh, what your role, what they wanted out of you. Um, you know, just you're speaking with Jerry was like, uh, you know, you know, we, you know, we're a really young team. Uh, we need some sort of, um, veteran presence mm-hmm. and, um, and a, and a power bat. So, um, you know, it was like, I, I feel like I can fill that role if I've uh, given the opportunity. So, um, you know, I just, I went, went down to Coma and, you know, to see some pitching and, um, getting up here, just trying to get, get, you know, comfortable and, and acclimated. Do you feel any sort of pressure coming into the – we were just talking about this. As a veteran that's got a, a great track record like you do and you come into a team that is young but is really, really struggling offensively, do you feel like, okay, I've got, I've got to be the producer. I've got to come in here and help lengthen this lineup, and that's why they brought me here. Is there more pressure in that situation? Uh, no, I don't think so. I think more than anything, like um, on the, the mental side of things and, and in the clubhouse and, and – you know, trying to work through, you know, a slow start to a season. I, I think um, obviously on the field is, you know, anything production-wise I do is, is awesome and can help. But um, just kind of helping helping motivate, get guys going, um, 
you know, offensively and obviously on the field, I want to produce also. But uh, I think it's a, it's a, there's two sides to that job. Well, I'll tell you what, Justin, I mean, you've been in, in the major league since 2007. I, I would try to get a locker next to you and just uh, pick <laughs> pick your brain, man. Is that, I mean, are you proactively kind of talking to the young guys or do you just kind of wait for them to come to you? How's that, that process of, you know, sharing some of the, the knowledge that, that you have? Well, I'm, you know, I'm trying to learn from these guys too. I mean, they've, they've seen certain pictures I haven't seen either, so... Um, you know, I, I try to strike up a conversation about what's going on in the game, what what they're seeing from the pitcher, and then you know sometimes that segues into um, you know where I could give out some information or or vice versa. So um, you know you, you got to be open ears and being able you know being able to have the conversations that need to be had. As far as uh, relationships, did you know many of the players? Obviously, you were playing with the Angels uh, since 2017, so you faced the Mariners quite a bit. Did you have many relationships with guys in this uh, on this roster right now? Uh, not really, not re- like real re- like relationships. Obviously, when you're on the other side, like you play guys, you you you're on the same, you know, you're on the field with them, and you know you have conversations in passing. But um, me and Ty have the same agent, so um, we've talked quite a bit in the past so uh i knew ty coming over um and some of the guys were talking to him on the field and stuff like that but um no no real relationships you know to speak of justin did you uh did you think maybe you know that uh, were you sure you were going to play this year because you know and i always say this i played in the nfl it's no good on the outside stay in stay in uh, pro sports as long as you can justin it's an awesome lifestyle but like did you have did you have like a an idea or do you going forward as far as uh you know how much longer you want to play what you want your involvement to be uh, around major league baseball um, as of right now, I mean, my, my goal is to continue to play. Um, you know, when I did get released, uh, you know, it was time I didn't get to sit with my family. So, um, you know, it was, you know, it, it gets good to you. You're like, Oh, I get to see my kids every day. I get to see my, my family every day. Mm. And, you know, you enjoy that part of it, but I also miss the game too. So, uh, me missing the game told me that I needed to continue to play and, you know, we'll reevaluate it in the year. If I, you know, finish the year healthy and and you know, I feel like I'm producing, then you know, I'd, I'd love to play. But I'm also not going to be that guy that is taking a bats from a young kid who's who could be learning um, just to be there. Because you know, I want to be there. I want to. I want to help. I want to be be productive. So um, that's just something I've always told myself is that if I'm still producing, I'll play. But I'm I'm not gonna I'm not gonna bring it. You know, drag a team down because because of ego. So. Um, that's definitely in the in the in the equation, also. As far as where you're at physically and you, just your skill set, do you do you look at it and go, man, back when I was, you know, you're 34 now. Back when I was 24, 25, I could do this. I can't really do that anymore. Do you feel like, man, my bat speed's still there? I can still do the things I did before. How do how do you assess where you're at in your career now? Well, I mean, when you, <laughs> I mean, I think Father Time is. It gets everybody. I mean, I don't. I wouldn't tell you that you know my bat's as fast as it was when I was 24 years old, but I'm a lot smarter now than I was then. So um, I, I think you know it, it's still you know my bat speed's still there. It may not be what it used to, but um, definitely a smarter hitter now than I used to be. Are you playing Pac-Man or are you at an arcade? <laughs> no, I'm actually in the clubhouse. We're, we're heading out of town, and I just came in and started playing. So, uh, yeah, I, everybody knows it. 
Yeah, it is Pac-Man. <laughs> <laughs> Very distinct sound. Yeah, that's, that's somebody's yeah, playing Pac-Man. Sure. What do you, what do you do on on the road? Like, uh, are you a card guy? I remember getting together with the guys playing cards. We'd play cribbage. Uh, what do you do to pass the time when you go on these road trips? Um, you know, I I watch I watch a lot of shows on my iPad. Um, you know, if there's a card game, I'm all about it. I love I love playing cards. Um, you know, I just try to mix it up. You know, stay busy. Um, yeah, I mean, we're we're at the stadium for half the day, and then when you get back late at night, you know, grab some food, and then you know, most of the time you're watching a show and and relaxing, trying to trying to recover for tomorrow. All right, I used to play number one cribbage. Then there was one called uh, Boo-Ray and another one called Spades. Any of those, or what? What's the card game of choice? The card game of choice, really. I mean. I think universally throughout the league, everybody plays Blu-ray still. Yeah. And um, we played Pluck, which is kind of a variation of Spades. Okay. So yeah. a lot of Pluck, a lot of, lot of Blu-ray. It, it took me a couple of years and several hundred dollars to figure out Blu-ray my rookie year in second yeah. year. So. <laughs> that could get real dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Justin, before the Mariners uh, gave you a call, what were you doing? Were you training? Were you out there? Your agent was, was talking to teams on the phone? Or where, where were you at physically and just in terms of your, your baseball life? Yeah, we were, we were, you know, my agent was taking calls, and I was staying in shape. I have a cage at my house, and, and I just swinging off, the, swinging off the tee and getting some machine when I could, you know, playing some catch, just trying to keep myself in shape. And, you know, my, my workouts, have, you know, I just kind of restarted my off-season workouts and stuff like that. So, um, you know, I was just staying in shape, hoping, you know, the, the right situation popped up. Justin, what uh, are you a golfer? I am. <laughs> okay. How's your game? Um, it's it's good. I mean, I, I'm not the best player. I'm not scratch or anything, but yeah. um, I can I can work it around a course. <laughs> <laughs> can you play with the same ball for multiple holes in a row? That's a that's something I want to achieve. Yeah, I can I can play. <laughs> I, I played rounds with one ball before. <laughs> Jeez. I just like to take a dozen balls and throw them in the woods and cut to the chase. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. instead of the four hours, we can just throw them in the woods. Exactly right. Hey, uh, last thing before we let you go, we, we, you know, you've had a long career. What's funny is, you know, in, in professional athlete years, I guess you're looked at as an older guy. In life, you're 34 years old. I mean, you've got more life in front of you than you've lived at this point. So do you think about life after baseball, and, and would you want to coach? Would you want to be – maintain an involvement maybe broadcasting or or once you're done playing do you feel like okay I, i'm good well um i know initially you know i'll i want to kind of re- recoup some of the time that i've been away from the family um so i'll probably take a year or so to try to you know spend some time with them but i you know i'm not against getting back into the game um you know, I, I I love being around it. I love you know talking talking the game with with players and and people. So um, I don't know. I don't know if coaching. I, I like. I think I like the golf a little bit too much to coach. <laughs> but uh, I would definitely like to have some involvement. Uh, these coaches these days, man, they they they're they're hard workers. They're they're here all day, and you know they they put on a lot of work. So. It's a big commitment, so I don't know if coaching necessarily in the cars for me, but I'd love to, to definitely be around it. But you got two little girls, right? So yeah, I got two yeah. little girls. There you go. Yeah, that that'll take up yeah. your time too. There. 
For sure. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be uh, a bodyguard for a little bit. There you go. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Absolutely. Hey, Justin, it's it's a pleasure to speak with you, my friend. Thanks so much for taking the time. We obviously wish you nothing but the best of luck. Hopefully things start getting turned around for this Mariners team, and uh, we'll be talking to you again about some big wins. We appreciate it. All right. Sounds good. Thanks, fellas. Up next, one of the most plugged-in guys covering the Mariners. That's Ryan Divish. He joined Bump and Stacy earlier today on Seattle Sports Station. How much pressure is on the Mariners' front office and coaching staff to win in 2022? Let's take a listen to what Divish had to say next here on Extra Innings. I'm Curtis Rogers. You're listening to Seattle Sports Station of the Mariners Radio Network. You're listening to Extra Innings inside the Mariners on the home of the Mariners, Seattle Sports Station. In 15 minutes from now, we will go through some of the biggest stories in the game of baseball. Important ones, the off-the-wall ones with a little bit of pepper. That's coming up at 8.45. That's how we wrap up every single edition of Extra Innings. By the way, make sure you are downloading the podcast at seattlesports.com. Make sure you're downloading every hour of every show, including our brand-new midday show from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. every single day. Michael Bumpus and Stacey Rost. I'll be there as well producing the whole thing, so you do not want to miss out on that. Make sure you're downloading and subscribing that show, as well as all the others, the Mike Salk Show, Wyman and Bob. We are there for you every single day right here on Seattle Sports Station. Speaking of Bump and Stacey, the Seattle Times is Ryan Divish stopped by, and he was asked, does he expect any kind of change within the front office, within the managerial staff? Let's hear from the Seattle Times is Ryan Divish. You know, the Mariners traditionally aren't very reactionary to this. I mean, you look at kind of how long Jack Z stuck around, how long Bill Bavese stuck around. You know, while this is a different owner, principal owner, and John Stanton, he was part of the minority ownership group when, when they had, when Howard Lincoln was in charge. So, I mean, a lot of the same ownership pieces are still in place, and it's not an organization that reacts quickly. I mean, I mean, hell, like, even when Kevin Mather said all the things they said, look at how long it took them to fire him. And I, from all my sourcing, they didn't really want to do it. It went up till the very last moment and when Mather decided to resign that they were trying to find ways to keep him. They just aren't resistant – or they aren't – they're resistant to quick change. So I think that's the case. And then also, like – and I wrote it yesterday, kind of probably a little bit of a cheap shot, but, you know, Jerry Depoto and Scott Service are – are under contract for this year, for next year, and then there's a, supposedly, and this is according to my sources, a buyout or an option for the third year. So the Mariners would have to pay, you know, somebody else to be manager, GM for next year, and then also a buyout. And the Mariners usually only play, pay players not to play for them, not people not to work for them. Ryan, it's so hard to predict uh, performance and how guys would impact the roster. But I look at Kyle Lewis and Mitch Hanniger, and I'm like, all right, this team is struggling right now. How do they improve this team, and how many wins do you think they would account for? How many more wins would they account for if they were in this lineup? Oh, I, I mean, I think they would be massive, massive improvements to this lineup. In four games, Kyle Lewis hit three homers, and you just saw how different it was. He was batting seventh. You put Mitch Hanniger in there. I mean, like, you're not reliant on Jesse Winker, and you're not reliant on Eugenio Suarez and these guys that have been underproducing, and you're certainly not – you're not playing Abraham Toro every game. You're not asking him to play every game, something he's not good at doing, we've seen. So, yeah, I mean, they'd be massive, massive upgrades to the lineup. And you also talk about, like, 
Jared Kelnick. If Jared Kelnick is the guy that we saw in September last year, how much different does he make that lineup? But instead, he struggled. He's back in Tacoma. I think he's not going to be back till after the All-Star break. So those you're talking about three kind of impact bats with the ability to hit home runs and drive in runs, the, the, the problem that this team is having, and they are not there. Um, and, and I don't know when any of them are going to be there. I would not expect to see Kyle Lewis or Mitch Hanniger or Jared Kelnick till July. I just don't like mid-July. At the, maybe at the latest, but I just don't think we're going to see him any time before that. Hey, Divish, coming up in about two hours, we're going to be asking callers to sound off about whether the Mariners added enough or whether talent isn't giving enough. Do you think that part of the problem uh, proceeds that, like, even if Hanniger was healthy, even if Lewis was healthy, they just don't have enough? I mean, if they had those guys, it would be fringy to have enough talent. I mean, like, with the talent, you, you can try and – uh, get the talent you can get. I mean, like we've talked about it on here before, but they tried to sign these guys. I just don't think they can sell the organization right now, you know, to, as a place that people want to come play. I just don't think that they can. And that's a failure on the organization. Um, but, yeah, like I was joking, there was somebody that they were asking, well, what is the issue? Is it the hitting coach? Is that? And I go, it's like my college baseball said to me. He goes, you have loft issues. And I go, loft? He goes, L-O-F-T. And I was like, what does that mean? He goes, lack of effing talent. That's what they have. <laughs> they have loft issues. They, I mean, like, you're playing Abraham Toro. And, like, you know, like, if we looked at the lineup right now and said, who are real guys that you can depend upon or who are your three best players, it's Ty France, who's far and away the best. Then you have J.P. Crawford, who's scuffling, but has still been really good. And then your next best hitter is 22 years or 21 years old and has played 80 games. And that's Julio Rodriguez. I mean, like, mm-hmm. That's something's wrong. I mean, you went out and got Jesse Winker and Suarez and you, you did all these other things and Adam Frazier and they're not performing. And if, though, if, if Julio has to be your third best player and has to be relied upon, yes, it speaks to how talented he is, but it talks, it speaks to the failures of the other people in the lineup and their holes. And, you know, they just, you know, what we expected the lineup to be was going to have Mitch Hanniger, Jared Kelnick in it and eventually Kyle Lewis and they're not there. And you're playing Dylan Moore and 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 Abe Toro and Justin Upton and all these guys instead, and that's not what you want. Ryan, when athletes are struggling, right, we try to find things to fix it. We try new things, and Robbie Ray looks like he added a two seamer to his deal. Um, what does that say about him, and how does it change the way that batters approach him? Yeah, I mean, like that's it's kind of crazy. He's throwing a two seamer in his career, but like just to kind of implement it uh, mid season and just use it it's a it's a big deal because we saw kind of how it worked against the angels and even the red sox everything he was throwing was kind of in to the one part of the plate it's like inside to righties or away from lefties the the fastball the slider they all kind of have that same trajectory what the two seam does is it kind of goes opposite of that it runs away and so it offers a different look so he can he can kind of use that two-seamer away on right-handers to get weak ground balls to shortstop, or he can use it on lefties to get inside on them and, and kind of force some weak contact that way on their hands. So I, I think it's a huge deal for him, and it, it, it makes him better. I mean, like, and that's the thing. Is like He is really good on this homestand, and Marco Gonzalez was good on this homestand, and Logan Gilbert was good. All these starters were great. Everything else was just really, really bad. Uh Hey, Ryan, obviously people are going to be looking at whether or not the Mariners can be buyers at the trade deadline, and I think you could argue they absolutely should. But uh, who could be a bat who could be available and make sense for this team? I mean, 
you know, you got. I guess you kind of look at like teams like the Nationals or the Cubs. Um, you know, I think the Orioles. Like somebody, it's kind of crazy. Like some of the best bats available: Josh Bell, Trey Mancini. They're mostly first basemen, mm-hmm. and the Mariners have a good first baseman. But you know, you could use them at DH. I, I guess to me, like if they go buy at the trade deadline, I don't know that you're buying for this year. In the sense that you know they're gonna be good this year. I don't know that one bat makes them better. I mean, they're 10 games under 500. You know, they'd have to play 10 games above 500 just to get to 500 the rest of the way. You know, like they'd have to play a rate of baseball that they have not played all year. And and frankly, the roster that they have now isn't going to be capable of that, no matter who they're playing. Um, So, yeah, I mean, I don't know that they're one bat away, but if you go out and get a bat that's not only here for this year, but for next, then, yeah, you can say, well, we're pushing, we're trying to make ourselves better, not just for this year, but for next year as well. So there are some guys like that. I mean, the the dream of Brian Reynolds, of the Pirates, will always be there. There are some pieces, but Mariners are going to have to give up some. And, and from what we've seen with free agency and their inability to attract free agents or to sign free agents or their willingness to, to pay well over the market value, I mean, that. They, that, that's the only way they're going to get talent because, you know, you look at next year's free agent class, which isn't as good as this year, they might not be able to add pieces to make their team better for next year either. Coming into the season, we're kind of dependent on Robbie Ray and Mark Gonzalez to kind of lead the charge. Looks like Logan Gilbert has been doing that. Do you think the kid has done enough to be a, in legit consideration for the All-Star game? Yeah, I, I do. He's he's their best pitcher. I mean, I know Robbie Ray is one of the Cy Young and stuff, but right now in terms of talent, Logan's been their best guy. Um, I I think so. He probably have to have a couple more solid starts, but I would think so. I think Ty France will definitely be in for certain. And I think it'd be just those two guys. Julio's kind of got an outside chance, but he'd have to get really hot. And the rest of them, I don't I don't think there is another All Star on the team. But Ty definitely and Logan. I mean, has the ability to kind of in his next, I think, what three or four starts, really push himself into that. And more beyond just consideration, but to lock himself in. Hey, Ryan, I'm curious. What's the perception based on what you've heard from league sources or players uh, on Seattle in free agency? Yeah, um, it kind of is a mix. You know, like everybody loves Seattle in the summer. They love just kind of the city. Like it's one of the – favorite road trips of players because you know they stay downtown they can walk around there's restaurants they like to park everything about it i mean if you're if you're playing in baltimore in in the summer you love coming to seattle if you're playing in st louis or the midwest where you get that humidity and heat you love coming to seattle in the summer but like the travel is an issue people don't like to travel it's it's a grind um a good portion of the players live in texas and florida because there's no state income tax and uh you know their families don't always travel so they don't like that aspect of being far from their families um to be honest like there's a large group of players there's jerry depoto and scott service don't always have the best reputation i mean they've angered a lot of players if you look at some of the players that that left here uh, angry i know everybody says, oh it's just Seager. no felix hernandez d gordon those guys know a lot of players in the game so are they saying good things about the mariners I don't know. Are they trashing them? I don't know. But, like, you hear that, you know, people, stuff like the Kendall Graveman trade. Um, and really, it's just winning, you know, win. Like, this is an organization that, you know, if you're looking at it and you're signing a deal and you got to be in an organization for five years, are you going to win? Are they going to do what's necessary to win? And, you know, players are more of the show me, like, prove it. Like, we haven't seen it. You haven't won. You haven't won in 21 years. So, you know, how are you going to do it? 
because they don't get all jazzed up about prospects and prospect rankings. Now, the, the Mariners had a closed-door meeting, and I've – I guess in football you have those meetings and you call guys out. You got to try harder. You got to focus. In baseball, it's it's such a skilled sport. Like, what is what do you think is being said in those meetings? You can't just go out and play with more emotion in baseball. You got to be skilled. You got to have good good uh, approaches at the plate. What do you think is being said? Yeah, I mean, if anything, sometimes a po- a more emotion is bad for you because you're trying. Like, you know, you over try. You know, like you don't need to swing harder. You don't. I, I, and, and really, baseball is an individualized sport played in a team setting. You know, unless your teammates can do it when you're standing in the box facing 97. But I think it's just more about the accountability of are you having good at bats? Are you putting in the work pregame into your craft? And, you know, talking with a couple of players yesterday, just a couple said, hey, look, we miss Kyle Seeger. He held us accountable to certain standards, and maybe that's not here. You're asking J.P. Crawford to be a leader that he's never done before, and I think he tries very hard at it. But, like, you know, Seager carried a lot of weight in that clubhouse, and he had, he had an expectation of how you were supposed to do it. And if you weren't, he would let you know. Um, and I think that's part of it. So, you know, the, the meetings are, you know, when you're with somebody that much for that amount of time, I think there are things that build up and you get, you know, people are talking and stuff. So finally just air it out and say, hey, well, I don't like how we're doing this or I don't like that we're doing that. You know, if I'm a pitcher, if I'm Marco Gonzalez, I'm probably saying I don't like being pulled, you know, out of the game at 90 pitches when I'm I'm rolling. And just because you have the analytics that say that I should come out, I'm you should trust me to stay. You know, stuff like that. I'm I'm sure is what really got thrown out there. Make sure you're reading Ryan Divish every day at the Seattle Times, SeattleTimes.com. When we return on extra innings, it's time for a little bit of pepper. The biggest stories in baseball going on on this Monday evening. I'm Curtis Rogers. You're listening to Extra Innings on Seattle Sports Station. And the Mariners Radio Network. You're listening to Extra Innings Inside the Mariners on the home of the Mariners, Seattle Sports Station. Really appreciate you making us a part of your Monday evening here on Seattle Sports Station and the Mariners Radio Network. I'm Curtis Rogers, and we're wrapping up this edition of Extra Innings as we always do with a round of pepper, looking at some of the biggest stories, the quirky stories, the odd stories, the fun stories in Major League Baseball right now. Big news in baseball today is Mookie Betts scheduled to miss a good chunk of time after he suffered a cracked rib. The Dodgers outfielder OPSing 884 with 17 home runs on the season, a virtual lock for the All-Star game. You hope that that cracked rib will not linger and he'll be able to heal up quickly. The Dodgers did make a move today to address the hole in their roster. They acquired brother of Warriors champion Clay Thompson, four-time Warriors champion, Coog legend Clay Thompson, by picking up his v- brother, veteran outfielder Trace Thompson. He'll take the place of Betts for now in the Dodgers lineup. So hopefully Mookie Betts, one of the game's great stars, can rejoin that Dodgers lineup momentarily. How about this? From Sunday Night Baseball last night, Astros first baseman outfielder J.J. Matajevic, who is just called up from the minor leagues from AAA Sugar Land, the Space Cowboys. Yeah, that's right. That's their name. He hit his first career home run on Sunday Night Baseball against the Chicago White Sox. J.J. Matajevic, an Arizona alum, bear down. Uh, But get this. Get the price that the Astros had to pay the fan, the 16-year-old fan who caught the ball uh, for Matajevic's first career home run. Here we go. Six tickets to a game. Six batting practice access tickets. 
a Jose Altuve signed baseball and a Justin Verlander signed jersey. He didn't even want anything from Matajevic, who who hit the home run, who allowed for him to just rake in all of these gifts from the Astros. I mean, look, respect to this 16-year-old for negotiating all of that from Houston. That's an organization that could stand to give back some. I wonder if he was able to negotiate that 2017 World Series championship banner. That I don't know if it ever got found. If you recall, a few weeks ago, while the Mariners were in Houston, the 2017 World Series championship banner outside the stadium, so not the one inside, but the one outside the stadium, has gone missing. We don't know if it's ever coming back. Whoever has it, shout out to that. Shout out to them. But yeah, six tickets, six batting practice tickets, a Jose Altuve signed baseball, and a Justin Verlander signed jersey. I feel bad for Matt Ajevic, who, who, like, what am I, chop liver to you? I mean, thanks for giving me back my first career home run ball. That was really generous of you. But boy, talk about talk about coming back down to earth after one of the. Probably the greatest sporting moment of his life, the greatest athletic achievement of, of his career to this point, hitting a home run at the major league level. Also in baseball, a really odd scene for Cincinnati Reds pitcher Graham Ashcraft, who is a relief pitcher, and over the weekend, he was asked to remove his silicone wedding ring on his non-throwing hand. He's a righty. His Left hand is in his glove. He has a silicone ring on his ring finger. I have one of those, too, for when I am doing some physical activity because I'm left-handed. I don't want to have any sort of uh, potential injury wearing something that is, you know, going to snag on something or, or what have you. I understand the need for one. And yet the umpires told him to remove it. You don't need that, buddy. At least that's what the umpires told them. Get this, Major League Baseball is enforcing a rule on hand, finger, and wrist attachments. So you can't even wear your wedding ring out there if you're a pitcher. And not just your wedding ring, a a silicone replacement that isn't technically your ring. I mean, it still obviously signifies your marriage to your spouse. But, yeah, I I feel like that is baseball kind of overstepping their boundaries a little bit. That just seems a bit much at this point. Also in Major League Baseball, Mookie Betts' former team, the Boston Red Sox, they have called up a prospect by the name of Jeter Downs. That's right. The Boston Red Sox have a player on their roster named Jeter. Text into the Mac and Jacks text line 206-421-3776. Players on teams that would have really weird names just based off of the rivalry that exists. That'd be like a, I don't know, a Lakers player named Bird or a Yankees player named Yastrzemski or just, it just makes no sense whatsoever to see a Boston Red Sox player named Jeter. That's a, that's a weird, weird vibe I'm getting. Also in Mariner World today, they made some roster moves. These are the only moves that they made today. They had to trim down their roster from twenty or from fourteen pitchers down to thirteen pitchers. So DFA'd are Rowanis Elias and Sergio Romo, and in their place, the Mariners call up Ken Giles. They reinstate him from the sixty-day injured list. 
He will finally be making his Mariners debut on this road trip. I would imagine we'll see him tomorrow night against the Oakland A's. And they've also recalled infielder Kevin Padlow, who has gone between the Mariners and Giants organization at least once this season. He's no Mike Ford yet, who has gone through a few organ a few trips between San Francisco and Seattle. So the Mariners now trimmed down to 13 pitchers rather than 14. It'll be interesting to see who uh, the matchups are in this Oakland A's series and really in this road trip. We know Scott Service loves to carry a lot of pitchers, loves to have options down in the bullpen. He's got one less option, but the guy replacing essentially Elias and Romo, I think, has a lot higher of an upside. Giles has been one of the more successful relievers in Major League Baseball over the last decade or so. So the Mariners hopefully adding another proven arm to that bullpen, a bullpen that is getting better by the week, a bullpen that is improving. We're seeing it from Diego Castillo. They've got Eric Swanson back now. They've got Ken Giles back. Hopefully this is just a sign of more good things to come for the Mariners bullpen. That is going to do it for us tonight. Make sure you're downloading the podcast, seattlesports.com. Make sure you're tuning in all week here on Seattle Sports Station. Got plenty of Mariner coverage. Tomorrow, the dugout, Scott Service, he will stop by for his weekly conversation with Michael Bumpus and Stacey Ross. That is going to be tomorrow at 1 p.m. You don't want to miss that. You also don't want to miss Bump and Stacey, the newest show here on Seattle Sports Station every day from 10 to 2. That's going to do it for us here on Extra Innings. I'm Curtis Rogers. Big shout-out to Brandon Gustafson of seattlesports.com and also Martin Gallegos of MLB.com and athletics.com for stopping by, too. That will do it. This has been Extra Innings on Seattle Sports Station and the Mariners Radio Network.